Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. Today, I wanna, we're going to finish up this first section where we're looking at kind of prayer in general, how Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, then we're going to sort of talk about the Lord's Prayer very specifically over the next three weeks leading us up uh, to Christmas. And we're going to be handing out next week these uh, prayer guides that will walk you through exercises throughout the week that will sort of build on our practice of reciting and learning to pray the Lord's Prayer uh, together over the next uh, three weeks or uh, three Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas Eve. So we're really uh, excited about that. And t- today, this morning, I want to talk uh, about really the, asking the question, like, how does prayer work? And maybe a better question is, does it work? Does it work? Uh, and then to sort of align it with how do we get what God wants? Like, how do we get to that place? And all of us know and have had experiences with prayer. I mean, statistics and surveys all that tell us that most people pray, uh, most people ask for stuff. And I assume all of us in here, you've asked for stuff. You've prayed for stuff and it hasn't happened the way you asked for it. And so you kind of wonder, you know, what went wrong? What did I do? Were my motives? I mean, there's just all kinds of questions. And some of them are, you know, insignificant. I mean, some of you are praying for, you know, Ohio State to win yesterday. I get it. Um, and uh, that didn't work out uh, so well. And uh, not a big deal, I suppose, when it's your sports team. But for some of you, you've prayed for relationships or a diagnosis, or a loved one to live, and those prayers seem to have gone unanswered. Something didn't take, or something didn't stick, and it leaves us wondering, um, did prayer work? What does prayer do? And so we're really learning how to pray the Lord's Prayer that all of us are familiar with. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. Remember, we're trespass people here. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're learning how to use these words that Jesus has given us to put into our hearts. And a lot of us have sort of a scale or a way in which we think about prayer. And prayer consists of asking and then really it seems the obvious that it would consist of answers. And we talked about this last week. A lot of people have sort of said, yeah, there's three answers that God gives, no, yes, and not yet. And um, I don't know that that does justice to what we're actually trying to do, what Jesus is actually trying to teach us to do. And the Lord's Prayer is not Jesus' only instruction regarding prayer. Um, So we're using it as a model, which is how I think it was intended. He gave us specific words that we would have been memorized by the earliest disciples of Jesus and would have been recited and prayed when they were gathered in, uh, in, in community and together and also in their own private prayer lives. This is you know, uh, indicated in history, uh, seems to be alluded to throughout the scriptures. So they're, they're words that Jesus gives us to frame something for us. It's a model, it's a simple prayer. We memorize it and then we use it. 
And the reason that I believe that we, we ought to be doing this together is because simple prayers have a purpose. Simple prayers serve. They put words and ideas and thoughts into our minds, into our hearts. And simple prayers serve as a foundation for us to learn how to pray continually, for continual prayers. They, they frame a way for us to, to be aware of what God is doing as we sort of recite these things in the morning and then again in, in three, three o'clock in the afternoon or in your noontime prayers and in the evening when you wake up, when you let in, it frames the way we see the world so that we become aware of what God intends to do, his intention in the world around us, in your real live everyday life. That's what I want for us to see. The instruction, the way that Jesus talked about prayer wasn't just wrote, it wasn't just quote this or recite this. There was an idea of persistence, to persist in prayer, to ask and to seek and to knock. These are very assertive ways in which we come to God, which we ask and we pursue Him. Um, there's the idea of being aware, just sometimes that prayers make us aware of things that we did not see before or sense before. Um, there's the idea of discerning things. There's the idea of participating in things. There's the idea of depending and trusting. All these are part of the way Jesus taught us how to pray. And so I want for us to, to use the Lord's Prayer as sort of a frame of reference, a way of asking that is consistent or becomes consistent with what God wants, with what God wants. We mentioned last week that prayer is not a way for us to get God to do our will, but rather it's a way, it's the place in which our will gets shaped by his. And this to me, I think, is where the work of prayer gets done. And this is how I want for us to posture ourselves this morning. I want to look at a couple of really uh, interesting things that are taught about prayer and are used in prayer. Uh, and you'll see both of these today, that there's some instructions that are given that when we ask in prayer, and we're going to look at this today, uh, mainly in uh, Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark chapter 11, Jesus gives some really interesting instruction on prayer. And uh, then we're going to learn about how it is that we ask and how the way in which we ask affects the way we approach um, our prayers, the way we actually tackle prayers. So that's what we're going to do in the next little bit. Before we jump into that, I just want to acknowledge that there are times when what we have prayed for has not occurred and that what we wanted has not happened and that sometimes the, the emotion is so uh, deep and it's so intense that we have run out of words to pray. I don't know if you've ever been there before. You just, you just, you've, you've asked all you can ask. You have, I think there's a beautiful place where Paul gives us comfort found in Romans 8 and it says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit enters in and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever been there? You just don't even know what you're supposed to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I like to think of this when times I'm sort of out of patience or out of energy, I'm just done. And sometimes the only expression you have is like to punch something. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. You just want to punch something. And the only thing you can kind of muster is just, ah, it's just whatever is in, this is the, this is the, there's no words for it. I think this is the picture. This is where the Holy Spirit, this is where we, we, we most need to enter into his presence and sort of let our prayers be led or let our prayers sort of go. And he says this in verse 27, and he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for us, for you and for me, in accordance with what God wants. So there's an alignment thing that happens uh, in our prayers. 
And so then Jesus gives us, of course, these words that we're going to be using. And so as I've been praying these, a couple things that we need to notice. When we ask, we typically ask according to what we see and according to what we want or what we desire. So I'm praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know what I noticed very quickly? That there's all of a sudden a tension here because when I pray, Lord, I'm like, Lord, will you make my name great? Will you make my kingdom come? And when you do that, could you make my will be done? Anybody else pray like that? We don't do it on purpose. But this is, this is kind of the challenge because it says we want, you know, your name, your kingdom, your will. And what we want is my name, my kingdom, and my will. And therein lies the tension. And this is where the work actually occurs. And this is where a lot of us sort of get tangled up here without really understanding what the work of prayer is. We think that the work of prayer, when we ask, it needs to be answered in some particular way. And he does it. I want to be really careful. God cares about your request. He wants us to bring them to him. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about the work of prayer and what, it, what happens to us and what's happened to me personally. There have been lots of times and lots of ways that I've prayed over the years for very specific things. And I've prayed for these things over the years and I have not gotten the answers that I wanted. But instead what happens is what I wanted actually changed or shifted or became something different. This is, this is where the work gets done. And this is where we have to sort of dig in and try to see what God is up to. And this requires time. It requires discipline. It requires attentiveness. It requires intentionality. You're not going to do this on the fly. When Jesus taught I mean, the, the gift of prayer is a powerful thing that we have been given to experience and to understand who God is and how God is and how we're to interact with him. It's the way in which we learn how to have our hearts aligned with what God actually wants and intends in this world, in and through our lives. So there's this really interesting scene in Mark chapter 11. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded a little bit differently in Matthew. Uh, Mark breaks it into two sort of sections. Jesus is, this is coming into the last week of his life. This is like Palm Sunday, rides in on the donkey. Um, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. If you've been around church at Easter time, uh, you'll hear, hear those stories. Um, so then he comes in and uh, it says that Jesus was coming out. He was very hungry. And he sees a tree, a fruit tree, a fig tree specifically up on the thing. And, and he walks up to it and he sees this fruit tree and there's no fruit on it. And then, then Mark makes this comment. He says, there's no fruit on it um, because it wasn't the season for fruits. So it wasn't time for, the, for it to be born. It wasn't time for fruit to be there. So Jesus goes up. He's hungry, sees a fruit tree, goes up to check it out, see if there's any fruit on it. There's no fruit on it. And he says, no one will ever eat fruit from this tree again. So I was like, dude, that was a little dramatic, don't you think? I mean, just like goes up. It's not even, not even the time. It's like going to the same time for figs. And then he curses this, this tree. Goes into the temple or into this Jerusalem, goes in the temple, um, turns the tables over. It's kind of like Jesus is having a, you know, a mood and turns the tables over. This is my father's house. It's not a den of robbers. And then he's coming back out of the temple and out of this, this whole scene that just unfolds. And here's what happens. We get this recorded. Mark records this for us. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. So they passed by in the morning uh, and they saw the fig tree 
uh, was withered away to its roots. The whole thing had just sort of shriveled up like my garden does. And Peter remembered and he said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So whatever, like they saw this, Jesus like says, you know, never gonna eat fruit again and the whole tree withers. Like this is incredible. Look at what Jesus says next, verse 22. He says, have faith in God. That just clears it right up, doesn't it? It's like, okay, Jesus says, have faith in God. And then he goes on and says this, truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart or her heart, but believes that what he says shall come to pass it will be done for him. Now, all of us have heard this idea that if we have the faith of a mustard seed or if we pray and believe, we'll today to this mountain, throw it and be cast in the sea and it will be done for you. Jesus goes on, verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, all of us, if you are, praying person have an experience like this that doesn't line up with what Jesus said. Would that be fair? You have prayed and you have tried your hardest not to doubt or to believe that you've already received. You've claimed it. You've claimed it in all. You've done symbols and signs and things that you never thought you would do trying to get God to do something on your behalf. And you read something like this, and you're like, what in the world is going on? Well, we begin to notice, we begin to notice a couple of things. It says, number one, there's a key in there. It says, when you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and do not do what? Remember? Do not doubt. So you, you, you have to have no doubt. And therefore, that seems to be a key in which God will answer your prayers. There's another place where we see this that seems to be a way to get God to do what we're asking him to do, right? And that is if we pray, you might have heard this. In Jesus' name. You heard this before? Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And this is what he says. He says to them in John 14, uh, and, I will, uh, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You've heard, you've seen this before. John 15, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go bear fruit and your fruit will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. John 16, this is all just right in this one little section, this speech that he's given to his disciples. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for these things. Um, you've not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So the question is, what is it that prayer is supposed to do? Does it work? And you've tried all this. For some of you, your, your dilemma is you're trying to convince yourself that you don't have doubts. You're trying to convince yourself that you really believe and so you're trying to prove to God that you believe by promising him all this stuff. God, please, God, if, God, this. You know how serious I am. You know, I'm, you know, and and you're just, you just keep sort of pretending your way into believing more than you actually do. And you're mounting evidence. You're trying to build your case so there's not a shred of doubt because you think if you can just eliminate any doubt, 
then perhaps God will act on your behalf. And then the other part is we sit and we say, okay, well, I'll just add in Jesus' name. So you're like in Jesus' name and you're like proclaiming in Jesus' name. You know, I remember when my, my brothers, I was uh, the middle of two, two boys and both of my brothers, I was like bad at everything they were good at. They were both good at video games, which is never good when you're playing like next person. You know, you have to call next and then wait your turn. And so they would play for like 45 minutes and then I get up and I die in like 12 seconds. Like my turn, I'm out again. So I was like, I never got to practice or play or anything. But I remember it was always fun because you would kind of, I have this place, I was kind of my mom's favorite. And um, she know, they know this. So, um, but it was always fun because I would be the one to go tell the boys to do something. So I'd go downstairs and say, hey, Mark and Brian, you know, we got to do this. Like, who says? You're like, mom says, you know, in mom's name. And like, when you drop that, everything changes. And so a lot of us, we pray like this. We're like dropping in Jesus' name like our mom told us to get our brothers. In Jesus' name. And some of you are like, you're even using King James. In thy Jesus' name. You're using everything you can do to try to convince God that you're praying correctly so that he'll act on your behalf. So this is all happening, sort of. We're trying to, trying to do this. And the questions that start to emerge is when we say, say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. Maybe we ought to stop and consider what the mountain is. Most of us, we read ourselves into these narratives. We just assume that the mountain that Jesus is talking about is the thing that stands between you and what it is that you want. And so you've been praying for this mountain to be moved and this mountain didn't fall into the sea, this mountain fell in your head and you're wondering what gives, what happened. So you're going back and you're trying to say, I just got to remove doubts. I got to pray in Jesus' name. There's some formula thing I've got to do here. And this is sort of how we approach it. We, we think that, you know, what it, we just sort of name the mountain that we need moved. And then we just overlay Jesus on that. And then we're assessing the effectiveness of prayer by how well or how effective we are in getting what it is that we want and getting our kingdom to come and getting our will to be done. And when you think about this, the way we ask in prayer is according to what we see. And that's not bad. That's normal. It's called being human. It's all you have. It's we're asking according to what we want. Again, it's not bad. We're human. That's normal. What it says, what it is, is this is actually where the work of prayer gets done. This is where the things need to be pressed and changed. To pray in Jesus' name is not a mantra or a tag to add on to assure or to claim something that God has never promised and perhaps doesn't, we don't know. We just don't even know if he's gonna to intend to do it or not. And so I want for us to sort of consider what it means for us to pray in Jesus' name. What is, what is this about? How do we learn how to use this model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, to begin to shape something inside of us? And we know this instinctively. We know this better than we think that we do. Most of us consider it sort of a tag to get, and I've seen churches and religious groups that do this, that if you just have enough faith and you pray this in Jesus' name, your cancer is going to be healed, your finances are going to be better, your marriage is going to be restored, you're, you're going to have the husband or wife of your dreams, your kids are going to be, you know, whatever it is your dream. And it's, it makes me, I've seen so many people hurt so badly by this nonsense. What Jesus is inviting us is into something far more intimate and far more powerful in terms of what he wants to do in our lives. Think about this. 
Most of you, I assume, were raised by two by parents, uh, human parents, and um, they taught you how to say please and thank you. Is that right? Did, did y'all, how many of you guys grew up? You were like, I know some places don't have manners, but like in the South, we grew up, you learned manners, you learned please. How many of you guys were raised to say please? Every time someone, you ask them, you're supposed to say please. Every time someone gives you something, you're supposed to say thank you. And when you're like two and three and you're learning this, you begin to catch on to something, especially if you're cute. You walk up to any adult, can I have a dollar, please? Like, oh, how cute, and they give you a dollar. And what you begin to learn is please is like this magic word that gets you what you want. And then when you come home and you're asking your parents for like the fifth cookie or the 10th snack or whatever, and they're like, please, and you're like, no. They said, but I said, please, and they're like so disappointed that they said the magic word and it didn't work like it was supposed to work. But the reason you teach your kids to say please and thank you has nothing to do with them uh, being able to you know, exercise manners to get what they want. The reason you teach them to say please and thank you is you're trying to cultivate something inside of their hearts. You're trying to teach them how to live with gratitude. I know it's a foreign concept in parenting today, but you're trying to teach your kids to like be grateful for things and to learn how to, to participate and to ask uh, for things with a measure of gratitude and not just chronic entitlement or spoiled bratedness or whatever other word you use for it. You're cultivating something in their heart and the same thing is happening here. When God invites us, when Jesus says, if you pray in my name, He's actually asking or compelling for something to be shaped inside of our hearts in a deep, in a very deep place, I believe. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says that to pray in the name of Jesus is to ask for something that is entirely for his benefit. That, is enti that entirely benefits God's name, God's kingdom, God's will at the expense of our own. Remember we talked about this last week, that when we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done, this is a costly prayer because the, to pray God's will comes at the expense of our own until something else happens. This right here is where the work of prayer, I believe, gets done. Our Father in heaven, we are, we are calling him. We, we, when we say our Father in heaven, he is calling us to see something different. Whenever you start to put your identity and your worth and your stock in anything else, this prayer sort of recenters us. When you think that your identity is in your uh, sort of sense of worth or what you do for a living or some other, whatever it is that you tend to identify yourself with, when, it, when that sort of usurps, our Father says, no, your identity is in belonging to Him. You were made by Him and you were made for Him. For others of us, and you know this, you have reduced God. You are trying to get God down on your terms to agree with your issues, to get on board with what you want done. And this is when we say, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. You are unlike I am. All these are reorienting us. They're to help us to see something different, to awaken something in us that we were actually made to want. It just gets pulled apart because of the separation that we've experienced here in this world. The work in prayer is not about removing doubt or using some magic incantation of in Jesus' name, but rather it is to, to do something in us that helps us see differently and helps us want differently. It does something inside of us. And this requires us to come to him in a really honest posture. This is why the discipline of prayer to me is so important. C.S. Lewis writes about this. 
I love this, the way he, he writes about this. Uh, he's writing, his, his most prolific writing around prayer uh, is actually, he discovered it at the, when his uh, wife passed away. He wrote a book called uh, A Grief Observed. It's really fascinating in the way he processes that whole um, just experience and what he experiences about both grief, about prayer, and about God himself. And then he wrote letters later on um, after that. And he talks about this, and he talks about prayer as sort of navigating this heavenly space in what he calls our creaturely situation, which is a great way to think about it. It's the way we exist. And so here's what he says. This will be on the screen so you can read this. He says, the attempt that we're in prayer to be in God's presence and to be here on this earth, the attempt is not to escape from space and time and from my creaturely situation. It is far more modest to reawake the awareness of my situation, to sort of get a sense of bearings of what's really happening. And he says, of course, this attempt maybe be attended with almost every degree of success or failure. Sometimes it feels like you're like really connecting with God and other times it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. The prayer preceding all prayers is this. This is what I love. The prayer preceding all prayers is, is may it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real thou that I speak to. This is a perspective shaping prayer. May it be the real me. May I bring myself before God, not trying to cover up, not trying to hide, not trying to pretend, not trying to be pretentious, not trying to overstate, not trying to understate, not trying to justify, just coming like I am. This is one of the disciplines of journaling and confession and all these other things that have helped me to say, God, this is really me. This is who I am. This is with my doubts. This is with my fears. This is with my questions. I've got a list of, a list of things that I'm still wrestling through 30 plus years into what I would consider an intimate walk with the Lord. Questions that are as fresh and, and sort of gut-wrenching today as they were 10 or 15 years ago. God, how can you be? And just wrestling those through with him. Not to pretend, but to come to him. In the name of Jesus, meaning my confidence is in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. God, can you help me to see these other things in light of him and how you've revealed yourself in him? Can you, can you show me this? God, let the spirit whisper to me, speak to me, reveal these things to me. I want to make sure it's the real me. I also want to make sure it's the real him. So what I've learned is it's very easy for me to project my will onto God. I don't know if y'all do that or not. And I can do it with the best of them. Oh God, you'd get so much glory if this would happen. Come on, you're missing a golden opportunity right now. And you're having this sort of bargain with God. And what I figured is if I can overlay my will onto him, then I can overlay my image onto him and I can start to think that God is a lot like me. And that God sees things the way I see things. And he thinks about the way that I think about things. May the real me be speaking to the real you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is all prep work for us to see or to want his name and his kingdom and his will. What begins to happen, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of times I look and prayers haven't been answered the way I thought, but instead the things that I want are so fundamentally different than when I begin those journeys, those prayer journeys. So to pray in Jesus' name, to pray in Jesus' name, 
What it, what it is, it's not a mantra, it's not a tag, it's a posture to align ourselves. To say, Lord, I'm coming in your name. I'm coming as one who belongs to you, has been reconciled to you, who has been reborn by you. And the way I think about this is that Jesus' name is not a tag to get God to do what it is that I want or what we want, but rather it is the way in which I learn how to want what God actually wants. To come to live in him. To come to live in him. So when we say this, and we're going to kind of close our time with this in just a minute. But when we, when we talk about this, I want for you to learn to pray in Jesus' name. And I have people ask me, Mike, do you pray to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God? My answer is all three. I, I am not afraid to experiment in prayer anymore. Um, I do pray in Jesus' name. There have been times when I've prayed in Jesus' name, hoping that he would like do what I'm asking him because I'm asking according to Jesus. That has happened. But what's happening now is to pray in Jesus' name is to just sort of hide in his righteousness and say, Lord, can you awaken my heart? Can you awaken? You are good and you are kind and you are full of love and you are full of grace and you are full of truth. Can I hide in that and then just pray and let my heart be awakened to what it is that you actually want? When you start to see this, right, the end of this prayer begins to become much more of like a, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, for thine is the kingdom and thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand as we close our time together. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then rather than a tag of in Jesus' name at the end, we're actually going to declare that the name of Jesus has no rival and it has no equal and it is the work of Jesus that has reconciled us to the Father and allows us to approach the throne, allows our hearts to be formed. And in fact, he is the one that our hearts are created to reflect. So in his name is to get on board with that. So you'll join me as we close our time together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the power and the glory forever and ever. God, I also wanna ask, in this gathering at home, there are men and women, students, who their prayers are too deep for words. God, would you meet them in this moment? As we consider who you are, may we consider who we are. 
And God, may we sense the love and the care and the call that you have for us, your faithfulness and goodness to us. And then when we say in Jesus' name, we are positioning ourselves to receive and to trust and to be awakened so that your heart is born in ours. And I lift this name of your son, Jesus, who is our King.